Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship! We're back on the train, back in the groove. That was the train. Yes. I regret it now. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I would we, never have done that with Ray Orland on the podcast. I, I would, that's the reason why I'm timid that many like Ray Orland will come on, because of your shenanigans <laughs> in the beginning. But so we, had a, we did have a guest speaker last week. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for arranging that. I did. You got you got a big wig down here to weekday worship. Yes, I used the internet to track down other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's never been done. Never been <laughs> done. Yeah. Who is it? Somebody was telling me the other day about they just. Uh, this is such a nerdy thing. Half our people are not going to know who this is. Oh, good. Good start. Good start. <laughs> Include it's, everybody. Alienate half the audience. I think it was Scotty actually. I think Scotty said he said some of his friends had a question for NT Wright and they just emailed him or something. He said, "Yeah, jump on Zoom." And NT Wright like jumped on Zoom. What? <laughs> That's like, crazy. That's insane. If you that don't know NT Wright, it's probably one of it's the one of the foremost New Testament theologians in, in the, the world, world ever. Yeah. So. Yeah, the internet's amazing. It's in, that's incredible. Yeah, go internet. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel like we bang on the internet and technology, we're going to give props to the internet yeah. today. Yes. We also so we want to dedicate this episode of Weekday Worship to the interweb. Yes, to the worldwide web. To the worldwide who started web. the internet? Al Gore. Is that true? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it is not. I didn't think so. I think so. Al Gore made claims of such a thing. <laughs> Somebody, Bill Gates or somebody, did the internet. <laughs> <laughs> did one single person invent the internet? I don't know. We're, we're just going to chalk it Is up. Is the to... internet just a reality that we've discovered? Oh, my gosh. I'm opening up all kinds of like, this is, philosophical. Yeah, this is Inception type. <laughs> Ridiculousness. I don't, know who, I don't know which of our four listeners could answer these questions. Yeah, Chris Beard, if you're hey, listening to this. Hey, can I just say, call I, I, I want to give a shout out to you, if I can. Yeah. I had this wonderful opportunity last week to interview this pastor, Ray Ortland, who I look up to and admire so much and appreciate so much. And I said this to you in the middle of the week, and I meant it. Mm. I missed you. Like, I still, like, you're my favorite podcasting buddy still. You, well... At this point in my podcast career, you're still my favorite podcasting buddy. You have some future ambitions. I mean, depending on who I who I'll get to interview in my life could change that. So, uh, yeah. But Christ still loves us, and you. Yeah, I no, I, 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 I enjoy, like I was nervous with Ray. You know, like I uh-huh. couldn't just cut up with Ray. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, I hang on every word, and you like ask a question, then you just let him talk. And, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you're my. Uh, you're my podcasting guy. Well, that's special. I'm yeah. flattered. <laughs> I'm absolutely flattered. I, w- I, I feel like I'm in a weekday worship covenant relationship with you. There you are. Yeah. Well, so it's good to have you back. Yeah, that's we're, what I'm we're back in the groove into a regular episode. We're, we're, we're going to try to have more guests um, this year on the podcast in that way. Um, so stay tuned for that. So we'll just sprinkle that in. And we're going to try to do some of those where we're both on with the guests, not yes. just one of us. So yes. we got we got to upgrade some equipment and things yes. like that. James is our executive producer slash technical engineer. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> things move a little slow. Yes. Yeah. So uh, be praying for him and his his newly acquired techn- technological skills. Um, and I'm going to look them up on the internet. Bing. 
that was I was two points for the internet. The, yeah, I was uh, plugging our sponsor. Yes, the internet, our sponsor. <laughs> uh, no. It's our first sponsor. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back in the group. We're back into a regular episode, and we said we were going to talk about kind of the the split up of some uh, the four pillars of discipleship in our church: gospel, spirituality, community, mission. I like that pillars. That's good. And. Uh, every year, at least for the last couple of years, James has done a series on each kind of an overview and then in each uh, individual aspect. I don't know. I think I just said three words that mean the same thing. <laughs> each individual <laughs> aspect. James has, is doing uh, each of those pillars, a sermon on What each. are those four pillars? I it, just said them. You did? Yeah. I think Gospel, I checked out for a second. spirituality, community, mission. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't check out Ray Orland within the first five minutes. For, uh, for me. No, it was probably I probably did somewhere along the way because I have a long <laughs> attention span. But um, I dialed back in quick. Yes, and so we're trying to do that on a podcast, kind of follow up on some of that conversation of what we're talking about on Sundays to kick off the podcast, and then we're going to structure all of the more kind of creative episodes on different things um, in the future around those four pillars. Yeah. Did you, uh, I so question though? Sure. Did you listen to last week's episode? I did. You did. I did. What was like? What, did you have one takeaway? Like one? Like if you had one thing that you took away from that, uh, maybe something that was said, something that was talking about, something that triggered, like highlight of that of that episode for you. Um, something that was encouraging in the pornography conversation and just the the sexual morality conversation as a whole is you just you see. Like it's not like this is new, but when you when you hear someone talk this way, you you realize how foreign it is, and the way he was talking about uh, not beating down on men in this area, but actually being quite uh, encouraging and kind of coming along and calling men to something higher rather than beating them out of something lower. That kind of idea, mm. like that's an idea we all kind of understand and we know, but when you hear it done, you just realize, man, I haven't heard a lot of people talk like this most yeah. most of the time, and. Uh, kind of, I would say, probably our our church age experience. The pornography slash lust conversation has been predominantly centered around kind of uh, getting on to you, you know? mm-hmm. which is a necessary and as- vital aspect of that conversation, but uh, it usually, a lot of times, heavily focuses on that or just exclusively focuses on that area. So to hear some somebody talk... Yeah. Refreshingly about calling men to a higher place cool. in a positive way, kind of giving them an aspiration, not necessarily just to uh, getting mad at the rules they're breaking. It's yeah. Just to hear that embodied is so much different than just saying it. Yeah. So that was nice. Cool. I enjoyed that. Excellent. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. All right. <laughs> now we can go back to what you were talking about. We can. <laughs> so part of part of uh, of trying to live out some of this discipleship. Um, these pillars is uh, taking each one and digging into them and and exploring how they are formative and necessary as uh, parts of a whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one, obviously, gospel. Which and we're kind of working a couple weeks behind. Obviously, James just talked about the one on uh, community this past week, and but it's always good to follow up on. Uh, what we're talking about in, in on Sundays. So we're starting with the gospel here, and when you hear gospel, you it's what, you can go a thousand different ways with the word gospel. What do you mean when you mean when you talk about gospel as a part of this pillar of yeah. discipleship? It's a great question, actually, because it can be taken a lot of different directions. So uh, what we have in mind is 
is probably several fold. Uh, so the gospel is as in, in, in the good news of Jesus Christ's completed work on the cross through which we've been, um, through which he's secured victory on our behalf over Satan, sin, and death. Okay, let's, let's say there's that idea of like what the gospel is. And that is the center, that's the core of the entirety of scripture, right? So that's what Genesis to Revelation is about. And it, it, it's pointing towards and flowing out of the gospel, the, 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 the ideas of uh, promise and fulfillment and, mm-hmm. and so forth from Genesis 3.15 and the promise of, the, of this, uh, this future figure who would crush the head of the serpent, though he himself would be injured, right? There's this foreshadowing of the gospel in that. And, and so all of the, the Israel's story through the Old Testament is moving towards anticipating uh, the, the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the, the, um, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Jesus then fulfills that and and through his uh, life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, this newness of life is, is possible. Um, and so then the New Testament writers sort of fleshing all of that out and, and calling people to repentance and faith and, and newness of life in Christ. So that whole idea of the gospel as being um, the, the ultimate reality through which we are learning as Christians to see all of reality. So understanding that everything we see and touch and feel and interact with in our lives and and like there's all the visible reality, but there is the equally real invisible reality. Um, There are, you know, just facts of, (laughs) of, uh, of our lives and, and of, um, of the world that we live in and whether that's something as simple as two plus two equals four, but there's this larger ultimate fact of, of the reality of Jesus and his finished work and what it's secured and, and, and the life that he invites us into with God through repentant faith. So there's all of that stuff. So when we're thinking about gospel, uh, we, we, we attach a two word explanation to all of those same things. So for Mm -hmm. the gospel, it's theological clarity. And, And that is not just, doctrinal categories that's coming to see all of life all of ourselves who god is um our understanding of the world our interaction with the world coming to be shaped more and more and more clearly by the truth the ultimate truth of the gospel which is revealed in scripture through the finished work of christ as the the sort of interpretive key if you will yeah so i guess what you're saying in terms of connecting gospel and theological clarity is Yes, we want theological clarity on a on a diverse range of issues. For sure, right on a diver, on on all of life and yeah. in different areas of, of both, you know, doctrine, life, ethics, you know, how we live, all these things. We want theological clarity in those topics, but we're not just simply collecting random facts. Right. Rather, we're we're trying to weave all of that theological clarity in these diverse areas towards the unified whole and goal, which is the gospel. Right. And seeing the gospel kind of uh, penetrate through that theological clarity in all of these diverse areas. Yeah, and that's, and, and, and so you might take certain, uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm going to have to think of this off the top of my head. So forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Mm-hmm. So the personal social ethic of forgiveness flows out of what? The unmerited forgiveness of God in Christ toward guilty sinners, right? So mm-hmm. it's, that's a gospel-centered ethic, 
yeah. that we go, we are, because of God's forgiveness toward us, if we're going to receive that grace, we have no right to withhold that grace from others. We're going to now come to see relationships through the lens of the gospel, which means forgiveness has a claim on us because we are walking as forgiven people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so any, you know, any dimension of like... Um, of, of theology can be in some way traced back to or, or connected back to the, that, that interpretive key of the gospel itself. Yes, it's pointing to that fountain from which it came. Correct. So even, you know, when we talk about theological clarity, think about something as kind of heady as something like apologetics around the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? Which is amazing and necessary and Paul believes that it's necessary yeah. that it be a true fact that yeah. is, that is yeah we should think through right. that and, yeah but not just so we can have an isolated fact about the resurrection mm-hmm. but because it's connected to why the resurrection matters right which is the gospel mm-hmm. and that kind of unifying whole yeah. so that's what I think we're trying to do yes um, and so uh, so in using gospel in this way, as part of the kind of the four pillars of discipleship here, um, connecting to theological clarity, kind of the, the, what comes to mind and how we kind of focus that the most is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Yes. I think that for this pillar, that's the primary place where, uh, where that flourishes, mm-hmm. that this particular aspect of disciple flourishes. So, in trying to think through this uh, biblically, and trying to to understand the kind of the the necessity and the and the uh, the how this flourishes the best in Scripture, um, it, I immediately thought of of Paul's words to Timothy. What is Paul always telling Timothy to do in this area of theological clarity? Preach the word. Preach the word. Teach the word. In season, out of season. So he says things like this in First Timothy four, um, eleven through sixteen. He says, uh, telling Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, exhortation, <laughs> to teaching. <laughs> Exhortation. So is it, I just compounded teaching and exhortation. <laughs> it's a it's a Greek compounded word. It's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You learn that in seminary. Yeah, you just when when you're embarrassed, you just say it's in the Greek, and that gets you. Out. <laughs> First rule of seminary. Or verse fourteen. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hmm. So obviously, in context, Paul is talking to a, a, a minister, yep. right? a pastor, a preacher, of the word, giving him a, 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 a command to teach and preach God's word mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, keep an eye on how that teaching and preaching is being disseminated within the church mm-hmm. and guard it against what could come in conflict to that preaching and teaching right. centered on the Word. Right. So I, I think this is talking about theological clarity. I think this is exactly what we're talking about in gospel theological For clarity. sure, which is why when I preached on that, for instance, this year, you talked about how we preach on these four things every year when we start kind of the ministry year, which is true. And the reason we preached, I preached out of Luke 6 this year, was on that passage of building our life on the Word of God, Right. And, um, and, and the word of Jesus that he talks about. And so, 
um, the gospel is n- the reality that we're talking about in both the finished work specifically of Christ, but then even the ethics that would flow out of that, the values, mm-hmm. the beliefs that flow out of that, all of those things, they're all non-natural. They're all not intuitive. They're not yeah. anything we would arrive at on our own. We would never create this system of operation. We would never uh, create... Like, we wouldn't come up with this, right? This is from God. And so what we have to understand is the Word of God is what reveals the gospel and all of its beauty and its glory and its complexity yeah. as well as its simplicity and all of its multifaceted kind of angles and, and, and its implications for us. It's the word of God that helps bring us to that clarity yeah. because the, the gospel is the center of the word of God. And so, yeah. so it, and, and obviously that the center of that center is the person of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, and so the word of God, the teach the faithful teaching and preaching and learning and study and meditation on and and the that the word of God getting into us yes. is how we get there. Now, at the same time, I don't want to say that's just isolated to that. Mm-hmm. It is all of, of that. Not. It's emphasized there. It's it's the place where um, I think that's the springboard, right? But then we talked this last Sunday about community and and that's where these realities get to be tasted and seen, yes. right? And where they, yes. they, they, they put on flesh and, yes. and you come into contact with it yes. experientially um, uh, and relationally. And so that's where we talk both about the, the learning and apprehension of and, and the fluency of the gospel in terms of understanding it, thinking through it, um, applying it. But then there's the... the um, uh, the the more the seeing the beauty of it that yes. that this gospel isn't just an idea like we talked about Sunday it's it creates beauty between people among people mm-hmm. and and so that's where we get to start seeing um, the grace of God at street level and that's the, those are the things we're really moved by yeah so theological clarity in pursuit of the the the, the gospel really um, flows from primarily, uh, at least it starts with, uh, a right teaching and preaching of the Word of God, um, which the main... And and here's the thing. That idea is built on uh, the assumption that God has spoken, Mm -hmm. that there is a revelation from God that that is there, and we we need to know it. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, throughout the redemptive history, there was different ways in which God spoke to to people and, and kind of in the, the history of redemption, weaved a story of revelation together. But yeah. as Hebrews says, now in these last days, God has spoken to us, not, not, not in these diverse ways primarily anymore, but through his son right. um, in his word. Yeah. And so, and I think it's important to point out, it's just a, a practical, God, God could have chose to, to bring his revelation in a different way, but he chose to bring it through this word. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard. It, that, that makes it uh, a specific means <laughs> By which he uh, brings his word, uh, brings his revelation, and uh, I think we have to we have to lean into that that this is the way in which God has has chosen to reveal Himself to yeah, us. Yeah, and He has every right to do it. He does. He 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 would have had any right to do it any other way. Um, and in fact, not only does He have a right to, what a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what other ideas people would have of what would be better, but to have a word spoken, put on paper, preserved for us to where as each generation 
comes. Mm-hmm. We get to every generation gets to rediscover in all of its beauty the same glorious truth, the same history, eternity altering revelation of God Himself to people, like so that we can navigate this space, so that we can connect with Him, so that we can live um, redemptively with each other, so that we can, uh, you know, so that our lives can count. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, not only have I begrudgingly, maybe it's maybe it starts there with begrudging acceptance that this is how God's communicated Himself, mm-hmm. but where I am, I go, what could be better? Like, what incredible wisdom of God to have this means of connecting with us and revealing Himself to us that, um, man, so life giving and so. Yeah. I, and I'll tell you what. This is for me. I, when I go through critical moments, like dramatic things, mm-hmm. there's nothing more stabilizing through the crises and the storms of life than having truth from God objectively revealed in His Word that just that, that keeps my feet planted. Yes. That helps me know what's the next step or what can I do here that, that gives me a way forward and a way through and... Um, perspective, truths to hold on to when everything seems to be up for grabs. Like the word of God is, um, well, it's, as we talked about this a couple weeks ago when I preached on this, it's, it is a firm foundation that can bear the full weight of my life and your life. And, um, but we've got to know it and learn it and keep digging into it. And, and we gotta, we, we do have to kind of step onto that foundation yes. in, in a sense. And that's the really, that's the key, right? And so that's that's part of what that's that's a driving force of what we want to be about at Generations is helping you to move your weight from whatever else is out there bearing it to the Word of God to let you put both feet down all the way. I mean, you can put your dead weight mm-hmm. on Scripture, yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna hold you up, yeah. And so another aspect, a crucial aspect to theological clarity in pursuit of the gospel would be, as we're talking about it, primarily through the preaching and teaching of the word, is, and this is obvious to say, but focusing on the eternal truths of that word. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I mean by that? So a passage you mentioned, the first one when I, when I said Timothy, um, was this one, where, where Paul in Second Timothy says to, uh, to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And this is what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Now, most of the time when many of the people who are listening to this podcast hear that verse, they think, Oh, the, the, the theologically liberal crazy people who have thrown out the gospel and are, are teaching nothing but uh, they don't even believe the Bible, but they're still having church on Sundays. You know, that, that's usually the image, which that's definitely included in this bunch, right? But I think where we get blindsided or what we don't think about is Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word, an, eter- an eternal word with eternal truths in every season, no matter what's going on, and not to follow the passions of the people and what they want to hear. And so, what does that make me think of? 
today in our culture in a news-dominated cycle of life where we're all kind of fixated on what's coming to us through the headlines, whether that's on TV or through Twitter or whatever, um, we kind of get it, and we all do this. I mean, me and James talk about what's going on in the news all the time. On TV, on Twitter, or on the Internet. Bing! Yes. Plug for our sponsor. Minus two points for the internet <laughs> in this in this category. <laughs> but but here's here's I the need thing, my guys. Sound maker. No, that's <laughs> we've graduated from Wait, that. Okay. But think about this, right? We all get so worked up about what the latest thing in the news cycle is. But here's the truth: Who decides what goes in that news cycle? There are there are a million stories that could be on your news on your headlines on on, on your apps or your TV or what. There's a million. Like uh, a million per day. A few curators. But there's a few people at news organizations and websites and, and media companies who decide, this is what we think is important for, the, for people to know about. Mm-hmm. And so if we as Christians are constantly in that cycle of getting worked up about what the world thinks we need to know, mm-hmm. then we're, we develop passions for uh, what's going on in the news. And a lot of times we, we expect our, our preachers and teachers and our, the church to constantly be in that news cycle with us, responding to it Christianly. Mm-hmm. So it's just constantly, well, this is going on in the news, so therefore, you know, pastor needs to say something about this. Or this is going on in the world, the church needs to respond to this. Which obviously there's a place to do that, and we do that here at times um, when, when necessary. But if we are people who think the church just needs to catch up to whatever the news cycle is, then we don't really have a gospel that's eternal in whatever the news cycle of any generation is. Yeah. What Paul is telling Timothy partly is, don't get caught up in what the people think you need to tell them. Mm. Get caught up in what God's eternal word is that will speak to them in every part of their life. And may, they might not even think that's relevant at this point, but it sinks into their heart and starts to shape them and can mm-hmm. shape every generation in a way that just getting caught up in that eternal kind of wheel of the, of the news cycle... It's no different than getting caught up in, in losing the gospel in some yeah. ways. Yeah, reaction, like we've been talking, we've talked about this a few, I, I don't know who I've talked about it with, but it's come up recently and, and it's this idea of reactionary Christianity. It, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking it, about. Reactionary Christianity is, <laughs> um, it's sub-Christianity. Like it's not helpful. It is not, yeah. like we end up ultimately... Um, emphasizing against whatever the culture is emphasizing rather than re- emphasizing Christ, mm-hmm. right? And, and, we're, and we're still being, even if we're trying to contradict the world's system mm-hmm. in that, if we're always reacting to culture, yeah. we're still letting the world set the agenda. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, you said when you read that passage, it jumped out at me that in season or out of season. Um, that's a, that's Paul's way of saying like for us, that's like Paul going, Hey, whether uh, you live during the great awakening or whether you're in 21st century American Christianity, Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like it's out of season guys. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. It is out of season to be word centered, Bible grounded, yeah. take this thing seriously as the revelation of God. That's truthful and reliable and authoritative. Yeah. Like, we are crazy people. It's out of season. And uh, 
God's word already accounted for the fact that it would be out of season in these different cycles and in different cultures during different generations. It would be out of season. And that's a way of him going like, hey, guys, you're not crazy. That's happened before. It'll happen again. But but he's saying preach it even when it's out of season because there will be a few. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think about uh, Josiah as king led reforms in Israel when he d- rediscovered the word of God. Yeah. And he repented, and he led Israel in a reformation. Um, Jeremiah was called to preach the word of God in his generation to a bunch of people who he was told at the very beginning, they're not going to listen to you. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it's in season. Sometimes it's out of season. Yeah. And if our moment is out of season, that's a, that's a difficult moment. It's a challenging moment. Um, but but God's appointed us for such a time as this. Yes. And, and so we, as God's people right now, more important than ever, you know what? I, <laughs> I don't want to say it's more important, but I think you could make the case that it's even more important when it's out of season that we hold fast to this word. Yes. Um, we are the ones entrusted in our time at some level with a very sacred task of upholding that which the world would have us lose and what the world wants to bury as a as a a relic of the past we get the privilege of keeping that unearthed and before uh, this watching world and guess what it's only out of season until it's not and there's coming a time and maybe it'll be in our generation where that transition turns where the season changes Maybe we get to be a part of it. Maybe yeah. we get to be a part of seeing it go from out of season back to in season and something like revival happens. Yeah. And I think realizing that the word of God is relevant at all times, even when it's not responding to what you want it to respond to in the moment. Yeah. How many people <laughs> can good. have the idea that, you know, we preach a sermon. We preach a sermon series. You preach a sermon series on Micah, right? With the, with the kind of reactionary Christianity idea, it's why in the world is what some prophet in Israel thousands of years ago um, telling a bunch of people about their covenant with God? Why is that relevant to me right now in the midst of America and the political distress and mm-hmm. uh, who's going to be president? All these sort of like, why, why why is that relevant? Or if we decide to preach a, you know, we preach a sermon on, uh, a sermon series on, on the book of Acts. Why in the world is a story about some Christians going to, you know, traveling around different cities and dealing with magicians and, and uh, sorcerers and all these sorts of, mm-hmm. like, uh, we, we start to have this idea that the Bible's ju- it's just not relevant to our situation. Yeah. Why? Because our passions have turned away from what that scripture is actually trying to tell us is mm-hmm. important. Yeah. So... Th- that's what we're trying to say. If, if our goal is theological clarity in pursuit of the gospel, mm-hmm. then every part of Scripture is relevant to us at, at all times. At, it doesn't matter what book we pick to preach this year. Mm-hmm. Right? It's going to be relevant because it's in pursuit of that. But if your theological clarity, clarity in, is for the motive of kind of scattered information to meet whatever kind of fight you're in, then you, you're, there's only going to be a few parts of the Bible that you really care about. Yeah. At any given moment. Yes. And so we're trying to weave a pattern of an overarching goal of theological clarity that's relevant. It'll be relevant today, and it'll be relevant 
generations from now when our great-grandkids are preaching because the Word of God has a goal. And it impacts every culture, mm-hmm. but it transcends cultures, bringing us into the gospel mm-hmm. that is eternal. And so that's what we're trying to do yeah. um, in this area. That's good. Um, I think another thing, we talk, we've talk, we, we talk about this a lot because I think this is important to both of us in terms of approaching Scripture um, and realizing that we're not blank slates. We come to the Bible and, and looking for theological clarity and pursue the gospel with some baggage, with some ideas, with some unspoken kind of uh, ways in which we already approach the world, how we approach revelation, how we approach uh, um, you know, morality, how we approach culture, how we approach what's relevant for us. We, we come with, with things that, um, that shape us mm-hmm. already when we get to Scripture. And I think pointing those out also, while it, 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 it makes us aware of the ways in which we, we need to kind of adapt mm-hmm. in how we read Scripture, but it also points to the relevance of, man, something's shaping us. We're not blank slates, and we decide to get shaped by the Bible one day, yeah. and the next day we, we may decide to dabble in this area. So no, we're being shaped in, in some particular way. I, and, what is it? And what's funny is, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I immediately start thinking, too, like, not only are we being shaped by something, we're being shaped by the words, specifically the words of yeah. something or someone. For sure. Right? Um, the things that are shaping us, even at the level of just ideas, are still coming to us in the form of words. And so it's whether that's news broadcasts and outlets, whether that's... Um, educational environments, whether that's our boss, our mentor, our pastor, our, our parents, like things have been spoken to us, taught to us, proposed, articulated, whatever in the, in words. And so the, the word of, uh, you know, public health experts or scientists, like, like we are all responding to life on the word of somebody, somebody or something like, and so I, I think even trying to uh, demystify in some ways the the scriptures as if it's like well that's so silly that you would you would articulate how you do life now on a word it's like well you are too <laughs> we're just trusting different words specifically yeah, yeah. Um, and and so yeah I think I think coming to the scriptures understanding that that it's I'm front loaded with some things right and trying to let the scriptures even draw that out and contest those things and knowing um, what we bring with an assumption that the word of God is right, it's true, it's reliable. Yeah. And so where my thoughts, feelings, evaluation, assessment of things, where that clashes with what I'm reading in the Bible, those are, those are really great moments to stop and go, huh, Yes. why do I think about that differently than what this says? Yes. I had a really great conversation with somebody who's I'm getting to do some discipleship with recently and and we were reading through the Sermon on the Mount and he said he when we when we got together to talk about it he brought up the the little section on retaliation within the Sermon on the Mount um and uh and he was like man if I'm going to be serious about following Jesus I have to sort of how I react to other people that I I got to rethink that whole thing because what Jesus says here means I can't just react to it. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, that's hard. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was just like it was watching a brother who's for the first time really engaging the word of God and letting it bear down on him and going like, 
well, I'm thinking about that. Like, this is my intuition. But, and he literally said something to the, like, I'm summarizing here, but he basically said, well, that's what Jesus says. I mean, he's right. So my, my thought on that's wrong. My instinct is wrong. I need to, I've got to try to handle some things differently. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It was like, that's how all of us need to approach scripture. Yes. And even in the area of, in this vein of reactionary Christianity, the, the fervor of it, um, there's a tendency in what you're talking about, and even within the reactionary, is to bring our that baggage to the scriptures and become what we start searching for is the confirmation bias of what we already yes, think. Yes, and wanting to jump straight to how does this work in my battle against someone? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in, in areas of more like, uh, you know, strict doctrinal type uh, information and, and theology, uh, I've been teaching and doing apologetics uh, stuff with college students for a long time now. And many of them in this area of doctrine, they always want to jump straight to apologetics. They always want to jump straight to, how can I use this to, to kind of go to war? How can I use this to kind of uh, debate? How can, I, how can I use this to be reactionary? Mm-hmm. And to I'm always wanting to say, I think before you can even get there, you've got to have some clarity in the area itself. I think a lot of us think we know our story very well um, and then go out and try to try to, uh, to bring that story to others who have a different narrative of life and don't realize how we probably haven't thought through our own story and been shaped by our own story enough to dump in, jump into the headwaters of, of, of uh, trying to deal with the clash of worldviews. And so I think the problem there is a lot of people, they find the idea of theological clarity exciting um, in a very polemical age because it can be used for polemics very well. And what I mean, polemics. Polemics, like the idea of, of um, debate or uh, kind of uh, refuting someone mm-hmm. and those sorts of ideas. They find theological clarity very exciting for those purposes, but then it becomes uh, not as exciting when you're like, hey, let's just think through this for how it impacts us and how we, how we use it to worship God and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is, and this is how a lot of us listen to information about politics. It's like, give us the best information so we can know to kind of skewer the other side. Yeah. Instead of saying, let's think through what is actually being said in our own lives and how we're processing this instead of jumping straight to the polemical aspect mm. of theology. And I think that's really important here. <laughs> I think it's really important here because a lot of us assume a lot of confidence and theological clarity mm-hmm. um, probably in ways we, we don't actually have because uh, we haven't thought through it very well. So there's a, a really good quote um, by a guy named Robert Lewis Wilkin that I think he's spot on in this area. He says, nothing is more needful today than the survival of Christian culture, because in recent generations, this culture has become dangerously thin. At this moment in the church's history in this country, and in the West more generally, it is less urgent to convince the alternative culture in which we live of the truth of Christ than it is for the church to tell itself its own story and to nurture its own life. I think that's right. Say that part again, the last part. Yeah, so he says... It is less urgent today to convince the alternative culture, the world, uh, in which we live, of the truth of Christ, than it is for the church to tell itself its own story and to nurture its own life. 
Hmm. I think he's right. I think a lot of us, we're, we're really about the culture war. We don't really pay attention to the, old, the own culture within our churches mm-hmm. and within our own spiritual yeah, life. Yeah, so what he's saying, I'm just trying to make sure I understand mm-hmm. that. He's saying that we're getting caught up in trying to contend for truth in the public square when we have not yet really convinced ourselves or adequately grounded ourselves in our own truth. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, because again, if we go back to the idea of just getting caught up in the news cycle, then all of our focus is going on to uh, kind of the cultural combativeness mm-hmm. rather than the nurture of our own eternal truths in our right. heart, which should be primary. And and in a gospel-centered understanding of Scripture and orientation of life, combativeness itself is sort of a betrayal of the gospel. And I don't mean that there is no fight within a gospel people, mm-hmm. or that there is no resilience or toughness or contending for the oh, truth, right? I think there's right? an absolute place Ab- for that. Absolutely. There must be. But combativeness is something different, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and combativeness is a is almost a there's almost a hunger for there's the, almost a, a fetishizing of <laughs> yeah of conflict yeah right it's like Vody Bakum says all the time the gospel's offensive enough it doesn't need you to do it for it right? <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. I think sometimes we it's can a thought provoking uh, quote from that guy I, I I was thinking earlier when you were reading from Paul um, about Peter as well and and this talking about the ministry of the word and trying to flesh that out and um uh second peter chapter one where paul says that or peter excuse me says this uh let me see where start for this very read nope that's not i'm not going to read there (laughs) am i james james i know i'm just trying to find a bible it's my I was pretty good at sword drills. All right. So, uh, yeah. So he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So he's talking about all these traits that are essentially the fruits of the spirit being worked into, developed into our lives. And he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that would be, hey, if these things are developing in you, they will make you effective. And and, and um, uh, uh, so, or if these are if these are increasing in you, then they'll make you fruitful and effective. So then he says, verse nine: For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Um, and then a couple of verses later, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And then he says a couple of verses later, uh, I will make every effort, um, where is it, to stir you, uh, uh, no, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, right? So he's talking about reminding you of these things, stirring you up by way of reminder. If you're not growing in these things, displaying these things, having these things uh, emerging in your life and produced in your life, it's why you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. You have lost sight of the truth of the gospel. You have fixed your eyes on something else. You have put your feet down, your weight down on some other transcendent truths 
and, and in so doing, it steered you away from fidelity to the gospel and obedience to Jesus yeah. and a life that's grounded in the soil of the gospel. So, so again, theological clarity is more than just memorizing the facts is what you're saying. Yeah, it has and, to be because and, all of us know what you just said, right? right. We know. I, we could spell that out and write, if you ask us to write out our doctrine of of salvation, we could write out what you just yeah. said, right? Any day of the week. But there's theological clarity has to be more than simply having brain patterns that know that information. Right. The forgottenness that Peter's talking about yeah. isn't the inability to recall the right answer. Yes. It's a you have detached your life from the truth. It has become theoretical only. It's become um, head knowledge, and it's divorced from heart impact. Or it's become less important knowledge yes. than what the knowledge of is being shaped by outside of the church. Yeah. And so this, I think, like Second Peter 1 is almost like a biblical way of saying what your quote said over mm-hmm. there from, mm-hmm. uh, what was his name? Robert Lewis Wilkin. Robert Lewis Wilkin, where he's saying, the church we've got to be reminded, like, we have to be built up in these things. And so it's, we don't need new truths to combat the new lies of this world. There's Mm -hmm. nothing new under the sun. We need the old truth reiterated, deposited again and again, like reassurances, reminders. That's like, we go back continually to that same deep, deep, endless well. That's why 1 Samuel is necessary for you. <laughs> That's why the book of Mark, even if you've heard mm-hmm. it preached and taught and read a thousand times, yeah. is necessary for you. That's why we're continually going to draw from the scriptures for theological clarity in this area. Not because we think you don't know it, but because we think that it hasn't taken its fullest root yeah. in all of us. Yeah, and not only do our heads have amnesia, our hearts and our souls are, like, we have amnesia at every level of our person and mm-hmm. we need to continually be drawn back in to this ultimate reality. Yeah, for sure. So here's maybe the last thing, the last thing I wanted to say, um, another quote to work off of. Um, just in trying to think through theological clarity, and, and I believe it matters to know right things about God. Um, I believe our doctrine really matters, but some of us probably have a hard time thinking about um, why it matters in our relationships what we believe about God and, uh, and what Scripture has to say. And um, this quote kind of stirred that for me. And maybe, maybe me and James, don't, we don't do any sermon. Well, I mean, we don't do any prep for any of this. We just kind of come in and riff off each other. <laughs> don't but, tell them that. But I'm going to read this quote, and I want James to respond to it. So this is from a lady named Carolyn uh, James, and she says, Whether our theology is good or flawed, those we love most feel its effects. Mm. <laughs> Whether our theology is good or flawed, those who we know... Those who we love, love feel its effects the most, basically. Yeah. I think that's true. <laughs> I think what we believe about God <laughs> affects how we live with others, particularly our families and those who are closest and know us the best, in ways we probably don't even realize. Yeah. This kind of strikes me as Jesus in Luke 11 when we when I spoke on prayer, or was it Luke 6, where Jesus is essentially questioning, I'm not sure you believe what you say you believe, right? 
there's like our statement of faith kind of thought of what we believe Mm -hmm. about God. But if in my home, my children have an experience of me that is severe, that is short-tempered, ill-tempered, that is moody and rises and falls quite a bit. If my parents, or if, my, if my kids' experience of me is something like that, while they hear me telling them of a God who is gracious and compassionate and who calls us to be like him, my children will come away most often, I mean, obviously God can protect them from this, yeah, if they, yeah. but, but their instinct um, will be that the incongruity of that, they're going to believe what they experience of me, mm-hmm. which is they're going to come to see God through the lens of my moodiness, my ill-temperedness, my severity, and they're going to feel like God is that way. Yeah. And so what's, what's interesting about the quote that you read in that kind of reality is that if I'm, I could be a, an atheist, but I'm communi- like at some level I'm a theologian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I'm communicating by my life what I believe about what matters most, what's most significant. I mean, if we just think about the idea of God, not in this Christian sense, but the idea of God of being that which is uppermost or, or, or of greatest importance or of ultimate supremacy in the world of, 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 of highest value. Um, so if something like that is God, like I'm communicating by my life that, right? Yeah. And, um, and so, man, I mean, I, the idea of, of, if I now I really believe the things about God that the Bible teaches and that yeah. Jesus ultimately embodies in mm-hmm. human form, and so when I interact with my kids, um, I have those instincts towards all those traits that I just named. Yeah, and I have moments of those. Um, but if I really believe what I say I believe about God, I may not be perfect in suppressing those instincts. I may still gravitate towards those in, in difficult moments, but I would then, if I also believe in the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus, I would never shrink back from going to my children, even when they're little or as teenagers, and going, I was wrong, and what I did was displeasing to the Lord, and it was hurtful to you, and I apologize, and will you please forgive me? Yeah. Like, And that's built on a belief in a God of repentance and grace. It is, Right. Yeah. So, but if uh, I won't myself do those things, then yeah. I don't really believe in a God who does those. No, things, I right? agree. And I th- and and so part of what I think she's trying to get at is what we believe about God, wh- whether it's right or wrong, it affects how we uh, how that's horizontally lived out in the people who are yeah. in closest relations to us. So, for example, someone who believes in a, in a really harsh legalistic type understanding of a relationship with Jesus where there is no grace, it's all about mm-hmm. works, it's all about kind of following the steps, and if you kind of fall off the step, you got to start over again, and, yeah. a, you know, you kind of got to re-save yourself, that, that, those sorts of ideas. How many people do we know that grew up with parents or a mom or a dad like that 
who their entire idea of Jesus was, he's giving me a list of rules that I can't follow, and he's going to whip me when I don't have them. Yeah, it, it turns that relationship into transactional. Yes. Or you think about the... Or performative. Uh, yes. Or you think about the, uh, someone with a, with a warped theology... Of, of, of faith in a health and wealth way where, where someone can't even has grown up in a home with, a, with parents who, who can't even or think it's bad for them to even take medicine to deal with their, with their issues um, or to, to go to the doctor would be a sign of, of bad faith or, or disappointing God or, yeah. or that, or that it's your, really your sin that caused you to be born with a defect or something like that. Those ideas shape. Yes. And th- those are theological claims. Yeah. Those are, that, that is someone trying to have theological clarity in a really, really detrimental way. Right. What we believe about God, whatever it is, comes out in our relationship with others. Yeah, so in many ways, everybody has their statement of, like, what they say they believe. Mm-hmm. But then what, partly what, we're, what you're saying, what she's saying is, but we can actually observe what you really believe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's pretty darn consistent, right? <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. really, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty darn consistent. And, and this starts to, and maybe is a good stopping point, because yeah. it bleeds into um, the, the, the idea of spirituality and personal reality with God, because part of what we have recognized, this tendency within Christian history to get our ideas and theology articulated right without it being embodied carefully, yeah. lovingly, and faithfully. Yeah. Or articulating it wrong and it causing detrimental. Yes. Not just in the textbooks, right. but in people's lives. Right. And so bottom line here is theology matters. Yeah. It really matters. What we believe about God, what we believe about the scriptures, what we believe about the gospel is not for eggheads to sit around and, and joke, I mean, and just uh, shoot the breeze about. It no. has real consequences in our world, in our lives, amongst our kids, amongst and, our spouses. And it's not limited to the academy. Absolutely. Right? Like mm-hmm. theology is is opened to all of us. Mm-hmm. And as we engage the Word of God, like you don't have to know all the complicated terms and you don't have to, 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 to be a highly technical theologian to be able um, to, to think deeply and rightly about most of Christian theology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can get into the weeds, mm-hmm. and, uh, and some of those weeds can really matter, yes. right? Like for sure. Um, as you're giving a lot of your time to uh, <laughs> uh, dealing with uh, with theology at school and seminary and everything, but but for every every Christian, we are responsible to know God as God is, yes. to relate to Him as He is, yeah. to articulate things about Him that are accurate, um, and then our glorious privilege, yes, our dignifying privilege to then demonstrate in imperfect but visible ways something of what he really is like and to own it when we get it wrong and be quick to repent yeah so what i heard you just say is there's both in theological clarity and pursuit of the gospel there's both the there's a responsibility and a weightiness yeah to 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 know god as he has revealed himself and and that's a that's not a it's not a flippant thing no that's something that's with real consequences and god demands that you know him right and, and, and the responsibility there is not to be at the same level of knowledge as this person over mm-hmm. here. It's, no. hey, you know what? You and me, every one of us, wherever you are today, yes. we can know God a yes. little bit better tomorrow. Yes. And we can know him a little bit better the next yes. day. So there's, some, there's a responsibility that, that is we're approaching only God. But there's also the glorious privilege of it's in pursuit of 
the transformation that comes through the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like it's a responsibility, but it's a responsibility, I think, in finding and knowing the joy of the Christian life and of Christ himself. So that's our hope for theological clarity. Um, We're going to talk about spirituality next week. And um, uh, I hope this was helpful. James is thinking of something to say, but he's done. <laughs> I got nothing, man. Dude, it's good to have you back in the studio. Yes. yes. Y'all have a great week. Thank you. All right.